Another year is in the books for the Atlanta Hawks. It's not easy winning a game, losing a game, winning a game, losing a game, up, down, up, down. It's hard. It's, it's hard on your, our mental, but just try to push through and play good basketball. Welcome to the Hawks Report, the podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Lauren Williams, the Hawks beat reporter here at the AJC, and it's one, two, three, Cancun. <laughs> the Hawks' season is over, and joining me today to talk about that game six, it was pretty a pretty good at game six. Um, I've got 92.9's Caleb Johnson checking in, but before we hear from Caleb, if you're listening to us for the first time, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, this is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Again, like I said, we're joined by 92.9's Caleb Johnson. Welcome to the Hawks Report. Your hey. first appearance. It is, yeah. I mean, better you get me right at the end of the season, you know, just uh, wrapping things up. It's also kind of cool to be on this side of the mic right. and the interview process right. instead of the other way around, as I usually like to bring you on my show. Absolutely. So, of course, we're here to talk Game 6. Uh, reactions, analysis, maybe even looking into the future a little bit with our crystal ball. Just kidding. We don't have one of those <laughs> here, if only. Um, but yeah, game six, Caleb, just give me your instant reaction. You know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is being a little bit of a part of the flagship station and that sort of thing where I go, I'm, I'm honestly feeling kind of positive yeah. uh, coming away from, from this series, especially with how this thing started. I mean, I was, unfortunately, I was a part of the broadcast for game one of this series when it was really ugly. And I think to see how this thing actually came to a close was it, it felt like things moved in a really positive direction that uh, adjustments that were made that that just you know shot selection and things like that that no it didn't finish out how they wanted to y you know sure there are the the obvious glaring things you, you know Trey going one for 13 in the right. second half you know like those are those are issues however it felt like as a whole that this team w was playing as Quinn Snyder even alluded to some of their best basketball uh, towards the end of the season and, and I don't know it just feels like to end it like this is, is not as bad as going out by a you know, 20 point loss or something like that, that it really it could have been based on the way this thing started. Absolutely. I think we all watching that game in the final, you know, five or so minutes of that fourth quarter, 
it really could have gone either way, especially, absolutely. Yeah. you know, Trey said it himself so many times. If they just hit some of those shots, I mean, we, we've given Trey a lot of <laughs> flack for him saying, if we just hit the shots that we hit the last game, things would be different. But in this case, he's absolutely correct. If they were able to knock some of those shots down that they were able to find, particularly him in the fourth quarter of game five, if he was able to find that in game six, this would be a totally different result. And, you know, we don't want to say ifs, ands, or buts, in the, or, or um, what ifs in this, on this show, but we could have been potentially looking at a game seven. But, of course, we're not. You mentioned Trey going one for 13 after putting up 25 points yeah. in the first half, 18 in that first quarter alone. I think I turned to one of my colleagues in, and maybe this was my fault. I jinxed it. So I'm, I'm really sorry, <laughs> Hawks fans. But I turned to one of my colleagues and said, he's on pace for a 50-piece. Yeah. And he was doing it essentially by himself. I, I mean, not that other guys weren't contributing, but they. I, I'm pretty sure everybody was in, like, single digits other than Dre when it reached halftime. Like, he was – that that whole homage of, like, put the team on my back, yeah. that was Dre. And that's something that – I feel like that's another positive to kind of take away from the series as a whole is we opened this thing with him kind of struggling at times. And sure. so to see him have – carryover from game five where he clearly won that game mm -hmm. by himself pretty you know i mean he had a team with him but he took care of things he carried that over into this game six and that was a really positive sign to see even though i mean boston they're a really good team for a they reason are. they made their adjustments and they stopped him in the second half uh, but he really had some, some positive signs that he was showing there in the first half of of this final game yeah, and, and here's what Trey Young had to say about how the Celtics were able to contain him in the second half. I mean, Marcus was being way more aggressive as far as not, and he wasn't leaving me as much, like going in to help. Because early in the first half, he was, they were playing more team defense, and when he was helping, they were, I was able to catch the ball with a lot of dribble and attack right away and create some space that way. But in the second half, it was more, he was more just connected to me. And when the, I didn't have the ball, he was still facing me and still connected to me. And I think, I mean, they just picked up the, the, the physicality and things like that. And uh, the rest were allowing them to play and things like that. So it just, it was in their favor. So, um, yeah, no, it's tough. So, Caleb, it's just interesting that I guess you could say that it's still optimistic in a way that even though the, the Hawks weren't necessarily able to get as much out of Trey Young in the second half, they were still able to keep this game pretty competitive in the second half, um, particularly in that third quarter because of DeAndre Hunter. I guess for you, what stood out about Hunter's performance in, in this series? Um, obviously, he wasn't kind of where people had expected him to be this season, especially since it was a contract year. He got the extension, and he's still been kind of streaky. But as far as what you've seen from him, particularly on the defensive side, just what, how much of a step has he taken forward? I, I think he and... and Honestly, I would group John Collins in the same group of just really kind of struggling to start off this series um, and then kind of finding their way. And I wonder, this is when I start going into the like, oh, is this the impact of Quinn Snyder on mm -hmm. this team? And, and his ability to pinpoint specific things of 
hey, I want you to focus on this, and I want you to mm-hmm. focus on that. Mm-hmm. When we talk about DeAndre Hunter, of course, you know, we're talking about a guy who's expected to guard the best players for the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. And so when he wasn't putting up those offensive numbers that you would kind of grown to expect from him, mm-hmm. that was kind of my excuse and the place that I, I went in my brain of like, oh, well, it's got, it's got to be this. Mm-hmm. And then when you see him have, you know, a big game five and mm-hmm. when you see him have a, a great second half in game six, it's like, okay, so these things are still possible to, mm-hmm. to coincide together um, that – Maybe you know Quinn is not able to to get enough out of him because there was a, a limited number of games, um, but maybe this is the st- like this is the positive yeah. side of my brain is is this is the start of something that could be uh, potentially beneficial in the future. Quite honestly, honestly, I have to agree with you, and I think too. Obviously, in the first two games of the series, yes, you can point to the fact that Tatum was blowing by a lot of the Hawks' defenders. Jalen Brown was blowing by a lot of the Hawks' defenders. But in that game, too, DeAndre was the Hawks' leading rebounder. I mean, that's pretty – he had 12 rebounds. I don't think we can forget that. And I'm not trying to be a DeAndre Hunter homer, but that's one of the things that this team has really needed out of him is for him to be that forward that can help out Collins, that can help out Clint Capella on the glass and crash it. And so I think we were starting to kind of see it trickle into a few of the next um, four games or so, but we started to see how much – you know, he kind of started to put a little bit more attention on his perimeter defense. And he was actually sticking with Jason Tatum pretty well for most of these next four games. You know, obviously, other than game five, when when Tatum put up 35, I think Hunter's, I'm sorry, game four, when Tatum put up 31, game five was a really big game for DeAndre Hunter on the defensive end. And if you think about game six, a lot of the shots that Tatum made was when he'd either successfully gotten the switch onto a guy like Sadiq Bey or Bogdan Bogdanovich or a smaller defender. But Hunter was making Tatum's life very, very difficult. In In the first half, Tatum had 16 points, but he was... Two of six from three. And Tatum is a very, very good three-point shooter. I mean, this season, he he shot 35% from three. So what does that say about this team? Do you think that uh, if we're looking into the future a little bit, that this raised DeAndre Hunter's value and he now becomes a trade asset for the Hawks? Or... Is he somebody that because they've extended him, he's now off the table, so to speak? I don't think the extension takes him off the table. Uh, and, I, and I think part of the, the tough evaluation of this is going, all right, well, how much stock do we put in just one series? Right. I mean, I mean, this is what I believe to be a, a potential team. I, I think they're going to be the NBA champions, quite honestly. Right. Uh, and, and so there is that level of, you know, what – Maybe you're looking at a college guy and you're mm-hmm. you're evaluating what he does in the NCAA tournament, mm-hmm. you know, and that sort of thing. It's like, how much stock do you want to put into that? But these are the big moments when guys need to show up and mm-hmm. you saw him find that ability within the series. Um, I, I think something that's kind of part of it, too, is in this game six where they don't win. Quinn even spoke about the fact, uh, and, and sometimes 
guys fall back on this mm-hmm. idea of, oh, well, they hit tough shots. Mm-hmm. But no, truly. I, I mean, DeAndre Hunter was was making it difficult uh, for, for Tatum, and yet he was still able to, and Jalen Brown too, able to hit some really tough shots as well as like they have a really good team. So yeah. they were they were making some good decisions and some passes mm-hmm. that were opening up guys. Um, so I, I think it showed that that ability is there mm-hmm. um, and it's made it really tough. I think of a guy like John Collins, who was another one who mm-hmm. really showed some positive signs at the end of the series that make you go like, where was this yeah. at the beginning? Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it's like, okay, so that is there some, maybe Quinn can draw that out of right. guys when he has more time. It's just, it. it's the, the multi-million dollar question that Landry Fields is going to have to mull over. For sure. And I think what, the one thing about this series is that it just exposes how, how do I put this? inexperienced immature uh this hawks team is just because and that and that's not to say that you know the celtics aren't in a similar boat because they did end up blowing two of the games in this series to force a six game series mm-hmm. but i just think that you it just shows that boston is just at a different level that they can have some really bad games and then still be very competitive and when you think about those games like the game five and the game three i i think a lot of us thought that this hawks team would get swept but in them showing the complete opposite and and forcing a game six against the boston team that a lot of people expect to be the the champions it just shows that they still have a lot of work that they still need to do yeah i I think that's a great point of you know, this was actually something that DeJounte Murray spoke about uh, when he compared he and Trey's play together of, of Tatum and Brown, where he's kind of like, look, guys, this is year one for us. You know, like those guys have had those opportunities. They've had those successes mm-hmm. and failures. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team who the year that the Hawks go to the Eastern Conference final, the Celtics get bounced in the first round of the Nets. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not that they haven't had their own missteps along mm-hmm. the way, but you, you talk about maturity. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that this Boston team has. They have the experience and the maturity to handle mm-hmm. these tough situations. Like I, I think of game six, you know, things are coming down to the, to the wire mm-hmm. and how they had the composure to handle themselves um, and, you know, you've got a guy like Marcus Smart, you know, stepping up um, and, and experience like Al Horford to knock down a three at a pivotal moment for this yep. team. Um, but them to, to be pests against the Hawks when the Hawks are trying to inbound mm-hmm. on a really important play. So all of those kinds of things come into play. I know we we want this Hawks team to, to be there already, mm-hmm. um, but it's just it's felt like with all of the moves that they've made that. It's just going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, because of, you know, you start thinking of, of the salary cap and what's coming towards the future, like decisions are going to have to be mm-hmm. made at the same time as there isn't so much time. Like, like you still have to, to make big decisions with a smaller sample size than you would like. For sure. And I mean, John Collins would agree with you a lot that this stuff is going to take time. And and when we asked him after the the loss of and game six, just what does this season, this series kind of tell you about this team? And he said it himself that 
you know, you want things to happen overnight, but that's just not how the NBA works. So here's what John had to say about, you know, it taking time to build things, especially when you add a new coach into the situation. Yeah, you know, everybody wants instant results, uh, but it takes time. You know, we, we added a lot uh, into our rotation, into our roster. Obviously, we're extremely talented um, and young as well. So it's not as easy as it might look on paper, but uh, we do our best to, to com compete. And um, I do my best as a leader to try to help improve myself and guys where I can, as well as, you know, coach and, and the entire team. We, I feel like we have an ecosystem that, that wants to get better. You know what I mean? And it, t it takes time. It's not an overnight thing. So we've got plenty more to talk about. We're going to talk about the future. By the time you guys are listening to this, Caleb and I will probably be listening to exit interviews <laughs> with the Hawks on Friday. Bright and early. Bright and early. But before we get too far into the future, this is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to take this time to thank everyone who has subscribed to the AJC and AJC.com because you guys are what make this possible. If you haven't joined our community yet, you can join in on a special deal we have available right now uh, for listeners of this podcast. You can get unlimited digital access to everything that the AJC has to offer for the next three months for just 99 cents. That's all of our stories on AJC, our terrific e-paper, as well as all of our newsletters, including Bradley's Buzz from legendary columnist Mark Bradley. That's just 99 cents for the next three months. And you can take advantage of this offer by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. All right, so Caleb, we're now moving into the future a little bit. Um, and, and, and Trey would say it himself, uh, you know, he talked about how his defense has improved over the course of the season. And maybe even with Quinn Snyder coming aboard, some <laughs> of that effort kind of turned up a little bit more. But he also talked about some of the stuff that he wants to kind of improve this season. When you think about what you want to see Trey Young come back next year looking like? You know, what would you say would make him an even bigger threat than he already is? 
I think more consistent shooting mm-hmm. uh, would definitely, be, you know, I, I think all Hawks fans could agree that would be a, a, a category that, you know, we kind of seen him improve in those mm-hmm. things. And then obviously he took a step back this year, specifically from three. I think that's something that he showed in the Boston series. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when that three is going, when he has, hot. yeah, it's it, like, it's, Exactly. You know, he can really get it going and he can shift momentum. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that was actually that was something you spoke about that he was able to do in game five that then the Celtics did to the Hawks in game six. You know, and and so improving in that area, uh, I I think, I mean, there's so many things that he does really well. His, His passing ability. I do think he's got some great vision, but decision making mm-hmm. um you know th- there's been too many moments we've seen from him this season especially when he's driving to the hole mm-hmm. and he goes up and then he's just not sure what to do with the ball and, and so it's this moment of like do i go for the floater or do i you know pass the ball i don't know and yeah. then it turns into turnovers yep. uh and or so he looks for his teammates to bail him out and they don't have enough time to get set yeah. or they're just kind of like, oh, okay, it's my turn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I think being more decisive with the ball mm-hmm. um, is you know, something that I'm sure every basketball player right. wants to grow at. But that feels like that's a, a big area uh, of growth for Trey that you know, we talk about guys making you know, the next step uh, of their career, the next level. I think that's it for him is, is you know, getting a, a more consistent shot um, and that just comes from, as as Trey will even say, getting in the gym, getting yeah. those shots up on a, on a regular basis. Um, but then just being more decisive with what he wants to do with the ball. Uh, and, and that will make him that much better of a player. I agree. And I think when we saw Trey at his best, and I think that's kind of what Quinn Snyder is kind of alluding to with him being aggressive. Uh, you know, sometimes in your head you think aggressive. Oh, you want him to just attack, attack, yeah. attack, attack. And it's, I think, and maybe I'm misinterpreting Quinn Snyder, (laughs) but to me, I guess now that I think about it, when I think of aggressive, I think Quinn is talking about his decision-making. When you think of something or when you see something on the court, just attack it, decide, just go into the action. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. And just, you know, if you have to kick the ball out, kick the ball out, get the guy, let the guy take the shot. If he misses, we can live with that. If you see the hole, drive, attack the basket, but just don't hesitate and look around and wait for people to come and help you if, if the decision you want to make is attack. Uh, if you'll allow me to be a band nerd for just a moment, yeah. because I was a, I was a kid in high school who what was, <laughs> I was a bandy. I played trumpet and I just remember something my band director would talk about as yeah. we would prepare for a concert or something like that is whatever you're playing, like do it at 100 percent, even yeah. if it's wrong because right. as we're as we're going along through this process as we're practicing if we hear what's wrong mm-hmm. we can correct that if we don't hear it mm-hmm. and then we get to you know our, our performance day and then it's kind of you know very timid and and you don't mm-hmm. come out full strength it it just doesn't come together fully and, and right. so it's just like yeah if you're going to make those decisions like be decisive even if it is wrong mm-hmm. because then Quinn can say okay we can look at the tape yeah and, and we can backtrack and exactly. improve and go from there but i think one of the big things is is that it's clear that Trey has bought into whatever it is Quinn Snyder is selling yeah and 
of, of course, that's half the half the battle with uh, a star point guard, right? Is that you want to make sure that whatever the coach is coming in to do, you know, you have your star point guard on the same page with him. And you know, Trey had a ringing endorsement of Quinn Snyder in his press conference yes, after Game Six. He said, "Quinn is the future." You know, I think a city, I think the city can win a championship with him here. So here is, you know, here it is from the man himself, Trey Young, on, you know, Quinn Snyder and, and what the future looks like for him with uh, Quinn as the coach. Quinn is the future. I mean, I, I believe uh, with him here, uh, the city's going to win a championship. And uh, it's just about bringing in the right pieces for him. And um, I mean, him obviously getting a, a full summer to bring in his people and uh, training camp to put in what he wants to put in. It's kind of tough when you get in the position halfway through the year and you kind of want to put in your stuff. But um, we're kind of already halfway through the year and everybody's played 40, 50 games or 30 games. How many we were played at that point? But we just, I, I think he's going to be great for us. And I'm excited for the future with him. So, yeah, I think the big thing is that you never want to say that the clock starts ticking in a coach's, you know, first year on the job. But in a way, in a way the clock does start to tick for Quinn Snyder, you know, when we come back for training camp in September. Because you can't really, like, we've seen some great things. And I think the future is really, and I agree with Trey, the future is very bright with Quinn Snyder here. But I think, when, and when I say the clock is ticking, I think that's when we can really start to evaluate the impact that Quinn truly has on this team because it's just such a small sample size mm -hmm. that everything we're seeing is, uh, everything is shiny and new and um, everybody's excited because they got the coach, right? It'll be interesting to see how things shift when, as Trey said it himself, Quinn Snyder brings his own guys in, if, if that's what he's going to sure. do. Um, when he starts to implement his system and they're working on it in practice every single day because he couldn't make wholesale changes at the point when he came into the season just because you don't want to derail everything that was working well for them prior to him coming in. He had to feed things to them piecemeal. I mean, Trey was admitting at times that, you know, they'd be running things in the games that they'd never practiced. Well, that was actually yeah, something in game six mm -hmm. where Trey said the inbound mm -hmm. was actually something that they hadn't been able to go through in, mm -hmm. in practice. Like that's I don't know, kind of wild to yeah. me that I feel like that we've reached this point of the season mm -hmm. and that isn't all together. But then you start thinking of, yeah, there have been quite a few. Right. When would, when would they, when would they have practiced <laughs> yeah. that? But I think to me, when I hear stuff like that, it's indicative of how much Quinn Snyder trusts the guys that are currently on this roster. So it does make you question how many changes can we expect to see when, you know, Landry Fields and Kyle Korver and, you know, that front office start to evaluate the roster that they need to bring. Like how much change do we expect to see? Is it, oh, only John Collins is getting traded and we're bringing in, wow, that, I sounded like a man going through puberty. <laughs> Is it <laughs> just John Collins that, you know, we expect to be moved this offseason? Or are we seeing the shift where, because I think one thing that stood out to me this series is just how much Quinn Snyder did kind of lean on Onyeko Kongu, particularly in that Game 5 win. I mean, mm -hmm. 
Clint Capella didn't play until like the last 0.5 seconds of the game. So is Clint Capella somebody that the team looks at and sees, okay, what can we bring back from them? Because Daniel Salerson and I, my podcast producer, have talked several times that we would love to see a stretch big on this team just because when you look at one of the reasons they didn't have as many three-point attempts as they did is because they were really relying on three positions Mm -hmm. to take those shots, the one through the three, because John's shot wasn't as consistent. Jalen Johnson's shot wasn't as consistent. And Onyeka and Clint, they just haven't really gotten there yet. I mean, Clint doesn't take threes. And Onyeka is just starting to kind of no. <laughs> just starting to kind of build that into his rapport, so or into his repertoire, excuse me. So it's just gonna be interesting to see, you know, what the Hawks start to put a value on, especially because they are in a situation where yes, the the cap is gonna go up, but they still have a lot of money going to just two guys on this roster, in John Collins and Trey Young. So and then they just extended Bogdan Bogdanovich. They just extended DeAndre Hunter. Clint Capella has, I think, one more year in his contract, and then he's gonna be expecting to get a payday. DeJounte Murray has one more year on his contract, and he's gonna be expecting a payday. You've got guys like Sadiq Bey and Onyeka Okongwu who have their team options coming up from their rookie deals, and and it's time to start thinking about well, who do you pay? Are you going to pay Sadiq Bey? Or are you going to pay Onyeko Okongwu? So they've just got, and then again, Jalen Johnson has a couple of years, but are you going to start guiding him to be the heir apparent, to be your starting power forward? So it's just, there's just a lot of decisions that they have to make. They don't have a lot of draft capital coming up. So what do they do, Caleb? Well, I, I think it starts from a place of, they have to figure out whether or not they're going into the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like this is kind of a reoccurring theme when it comes to us talking mm-hmm. about the Hawks in the offseason is will they, won't they decide mm-hmm. to go into the luxury tax? It's obvious they did not want to mm-hmm. do that last offseason. That's mm-hmm. how you end up uh, you know, trading Kevin Herter away and making some of the moves that they've made. Mm-hmm. Um, they made some moves at the trade deadline to – to help them with those kind of financial things. You, you talk about Sadiq Bey being mm-hmm. one of those people. Um, and so I, I think it starts from that basis of are you going into luxury tax? Because if you are, then you can improve this team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think otherwise you're kind of playing the game of, all right, we need to tinker with mm-hmm. the roster without spending too much money, right. um, which then means shedding salary mm-hmm. of John Collins, Clint mm-hmm. Capella. Uh, th- I mean, those, but then you're dealing with the flip side of, hey, who wants to take on those contracts? Right. Um, like, like this becomes the the difficult task for, for Landry Fields and Cal Corver mm-hmm. that, one, once again, starts with, are we going into luxury tax or not? Because if you're not worried about the tax, then you don't necessarily worry about those contracts and you do what is best to to put the best product out on the court. I mean, it feels like we, we're reaching a point with Trey Young where he, he's coming to the podium talking about, yeah, I want that Larry O'Brien trophy. Mm. Um, and guess what? That comes with spending money. money. <laughs> like, yeah. 
um, you know, you can catch a lot of guys right at the right moment mm-hmm. um, when they're on cheaper deals, but that's just not where the Hawks are right now. They, they're they're not in that position right yeah. now. So it's it's spend money um, or cross your fingers and, and hope it all works out. Or be realistic about some of the assets that you have and maybe recognize that you might not necessarily get the most ideal return. Feels like you have someone specific in mind there. I <laughs> no. think we do, and I think yeah. we all know who that is or yeah. who they are. Sure. <laughs> um, just because, again, like you said, who's going to want to take on some of those contracts just because the Hawks – we know they do have a tendency to sometimes, you know, show a lot of love to their guys and, and maybe pay them a little bit more than some of the people who are comparable in that market. Yeah. Well, and then comes the tough task of, at least in my opinion, I think you've got to lock up DeJounte Murray this offseason, you know, not not letting him go into a position of reaching free agency because you gave up too much for him. Um, and if you believed in him at the point of making that trade, I feel like you've got to believe in him to be, uh, you know, a longer part, a, a, a part of this team for a much longer time. And that comes with paying him and, right. and getting that part figured out too. I also think too, and this will be the last point of this, you know, the pot, I think it, it also comes down to, um, you know, who do they bring in as far as some of those player development guys who can develop or, you know, players like A.J. Griffin and, and Jalen Johnson and continue to develop Onyeko Kongu because, you know, the more that you can get them to outperform what they're being paid right now, the better it is for you long term. Because one, you're you're keeping these guys under contract that's favorable to you and they're playing really, really well. But you're also creating potential trade assets mm-hmm. that you can deal down the line. And so I think that was one of the biggest things that this team wanted when they did decide to move on from Nate McMillan and bring in Quinn Snyder is that they wanted to create a system that, one, it's going to benefit them long term because you're constantly developing players. But it also benefits them in the sense that, okay, well, maybe they're not necessarily working because of the fit that they have right now, but maybe we can get something in return because they're still playing well in the role or, you know, we know that they have potential to expand their game with another team. And so I think that's, you know, another interesting thing that they're going to have to deal with this offseason is just making sure that they're bringing in player development coaches that are, you know, have a really good reputation of developing players. And that's not to say that the the guys that were on Quinn Snyder's bench right now didn't do that because we did see some good things out of AJ Griffin and Jalen Johnson mm-hmm. and Onyeko Kongu and all of that. So um, maybe the, things just change with Quinn impl- implementing his own system and, you know, they can work within that. But we won't get, again, we don't want to get too far into the future. The season just ended. We have exit interviews on Friday morning all through the day. Uh, but we'll be back on Tuesday to go over that. And then I will be going on a very short break before we get into the draft. But I've been grateful to all of you guys for, you know, being here with me 
working with me, giving me feedback throughout my first season. Thank you so much, Caleb, for you know joining us on the penultimate episode of this second season of the Hawks Report. We've got Sarah in the background if she wants to. All right, this is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.